This podcast made possible by the generous support of Lilly Oncology. Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the award-winning podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Dr. Hope Rugau is Professor of Medicine in the Division of Hematology and Oncology at the University of California, San Francisco, Helen Diller Family Comprehensive Cancer Center, where she is also the Director of Breast Oncology and Clinical Trials Education. Dr. Rugo is also a member of the BreastCancer.org Professional Advisory Board. She is a principal investigator of a number of clinical trials looking at combining new targeted and immunotherapy medicines with standard treatments for both early stage and advanced stage breast cancer, and has published hundreds of peer-reviewed papers. At the European Society for Medical Oncology Congress 2021, Dr. Rugo presented final results from the Keynote 355 trial, which was looking to see if Keytruda, also called pembrolizumab, and chemotherapy were better than chemotherapy alone as a first treatment for metastatic pdl one positive triple-negative breast cancer. Earlier results from the same study found that adding Keytruda to chemotherapy improved progression-free survival, which is how long people live before the cancer grows for this type of breast cancer. These new results show that adding Keytruda improves overall survival, which is how long people live whether or not the breast cancer grows. Dr. Ruga, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So could you summarize the Keynote 355 study for us just so we're all aware? Yes, and it's a little complicated, so apologies for that uh, because of the various concepts. But as you know, triple negative breast cancer is defined by the absence of receptors. It tends to be, but not always, just the majority, very aggressive, rapidly growing. And when it metastasizes to other organs or sites, the median overall survival has been less than two years. So this is an area of tremendous unmet need where we've been searching for better treatments. We actually have a new antibody drug conjugate, sasetizumab govotecan, also known as Trodelvi, in patients who've already had treatment uh, for metastatic disease. But the question about whether immunotherapy could benefit this subset of breast cancer was really important. Why did we think that triple negative breast cancer in particular would benefit from immunotherapy? Triple negative disease has these immune markers, so it's a little more aggressive. It has more differences from your own cells so that your immune system tends to see it as more of a foreign object. And you need your immune system to be you know, seeing the cancer for checkpoint inhibitors to work. Also, triple negative breast cancer has more infiltration of the tumor with immune cells and has more of a marker, which is really important for these checkpoint inhibitors called PDL1. The checkpoint inhibitors target PD1 or PDL1, which are two uh, factors that bind together. By preventing that binding, you allow the immune system of uh, your own body to see the cancer. So the big question with this was, one is, would immunotherapy added to chemotherapy improve outcome for patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer or metastatic TNBC? And then the second question was, 
is does it only benefit patients whose tumors have this expression of PDL1 or have PDL1 um, in their tumor and immune cells? So those were the questions that Keynote 355 was trying to answer. There were some other questions in there, which was that the other study that looked at a different checkpoint inhibitor, atezolizumab, allowed patients onto the study only if their cancer had come back at least a year out from their last chemotherapy for early stage breast cancer. Keynote 355 allowed patients to enroll who had, recur had recurrent disease at least six months out. Of course, patients who had just at the when they walk in the door have metastatic triple negative breast cancer called de novo disease are also eligible. Then the other thing was that not all patients can receive Taxol or Paclitaxel. So the study allowed three different chemotherapy regimens to be used: Paclitaxel or Taxol, Nab Paclitaxel or Abraxane, and then a combination called Gemcitabine and Carboplatin. Patients were randomized who had metastatic triple negative breast cancer who hadn't received any other treatment for metastatic disease to receive either pembrolizumab or a placebo given intravenously every three weeks, along with the chemotherapy that the patient and physician chose to give. So you could only get that one chemotherapy, but it was a choice of three different chemotherapies. There was a plan in the trial to look at patients based on their PDL1 expression in the tumor and immune cells, as well as in the entire population, which is called the intent to treat population. The trial randomized 847 patients, and the randomization was two to one. So twice as many patients received pembrolizumab versus placebo. And then the trial continued the pembrolizumab for two years. It's kind of an odd thing with pembro that that's what they do is they continued for two years and then stopped. And patients continued the chemotherapy until their cancer grew or they had side effects. So what we showed was that in patients who had pdl one positive metastatic triple negative breast cancer who received pembrolizumab, survival was longer than the patients who received placebo when both groups got chemotherapy. The median overall survival in the patients who had pdl one positive disease was shorter than we've seen before. We think because we included patients whose cancers came recurred earlier than 12 months. So it was just 16 months, but it increased to 23 months with the addition of pembrolizumab. Now it's important when you think about medians that you remember that that's just in the middle. So that means that half of the patients lived longer than that. And one of the ways to look at that is to look at what we call landmark analysis. Uh, when we looked at 24 months, 34% of the patients were alive who had placebo and chemo, and 48.2% were alive who got pembro and chemo. In the trial population, 38% of patients had pdl one positive disease. There's a special test that's associated with each of the checkpoint inhibitors. For Pembro or Keytruda, it's called CPS. It means the combined positive score. It uses a specific antibody, and it makes a scoring system based on how many of the cells, the immune cells and the tumor cells, have PDL1 on the cell surface using an antibody. So the definition of PDL1 positivity for Keytruda is a CPS of 10 or greater, and that was 38% of the patients. We also looked you know, to see if there were different groups of patients who didn't seem to benefit as much. 
And the group of patients who had very early relapse from their cancer was a very small number, so it's impossible to really know. You heard earlier in the introduction that progression-free survival or the length of time that the cancer is controlled before it starts growing again was longer in patients receiving Pembro by about 4.1 months. But we also looked at other factors like how many of the cancers shrunk um, more than uh, by a certain percentage. Um, we looked at how long the disease stayed controlled. And then we also looked at, which is something I think is always really important with inpatients whose cancers shrunk, how long did they stay decreased in size before they started growing again? We call that duration of response. And that all of those factors were better when patients got pembrolizumab. And at 12 months, 56% of patients still had responding disease versus 38% when you compared pembrolizumab versus the placebo. And of course, safety is a critical issue. We look specifically at immune-mediated adverse events or immune-related adverse events. The most common adverse events were related to the thyroid with either decreased or increased function of the thyroid that can fairly be fairly easily treated. And that was, uh, if you add together all of the thyroid disorders, it was about 20% of the patients. So it's not uncommon, even though thyroid disorders are very common. The other side effects were pretty uncommon, under 3%. Any organ can have immune inflammation from checkpoint inhibitors, but very low numbers. And if you recognize them early and start treatment, that works very well. No patient died from an immune-mediated adverse event or side effect. So this data actually led, along with the data in the early stage setting, to final and formal U.S. Uh, FDA approval. So it has regulatory approval in the United States and is now a standard of care for the patients who have pdl one positive metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Thank you. Now, I do want to ask, um, does Keytruda seem to offer benefits for people with pdl one negative metastatic breast cancer? And that's a great question. You know, we first looked at that um, in the, uh, for progression-free survival, that first endpoint, how long does the cancer control? And we didn't see any significant improvement in the progression-free survival in the patients who have pdl one negative disease, or even in the patients who had less pdl one positive disease. So you could have a CPS of one we haven't actually looked at the data if you just have like between one and nine and for the score, and that data should be available by San Antonio. But we saw the same thing with survival. Although there's a numeric difference, it's small and it's not statistically significant in the patient population who have PDL1 negative disease. Okay, thank you. And help me to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly. I've heard it explained before that. PDL1 positive cancers have more immune cells in them. So the, the thought is that then when an immunotherapy medicine comes in, that particular cancer is more responsive because it's already got those immune cells inside of it. Is that correct? Well, <laughs> it's not quite correct, okay. but it's really close. Okay. It's a good way of thinking of it. Actually, I think it's a really nice way of thinking of it. But basically, there's two factors that we've identified as 
seeming to be important for outcome in triple negative breast cancer and some other cancers, HER2 positive. And one is PDL1 expression on the cells. So that means that there is a receptor or a protein on the surface of the cells. And that could be the immune cells or it could be the tumor cells. For example, atezolizumab or Tecentric from the Impassion 130 trial, that test for PDL1 only looks at PDL1 expression on the immune cells. And these are immune cells that are infiltrating or invading the tumor itself. So that's the second factor, which are called TILs or tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. And there's been so much interest in that that there's actually a website maintained by colleagues internationally who that actually tell you how to evaluate and enumerate or you know detect TILs. And there's been really nice studies that have shown that the number of TILs in triple negative breast cancer in early stage disease is associated with how well the cancer does, like what is the risk of the cancer coming back with treatment and even without treatment in tiny cancers, the number of TILs make a difference. So there's two things. There's the expression of PD-L1 or the protein on the cell surface and tumor cells and immune cells, although probably immune cells are most important, we don't know, and then the TILs. Okay. So you mentioned the test Tecentric uses to determine if a cancer is pdl one positive. Is the test that Keytruda uses different? Could you talk a little bit about the differences between the tests? Yes. And we just published a paper looking at a subset of patients in the Tecentric trial in Passion 130, and it took forever to get it published. <laughs> so it can tell you that it's everybody is a little bit confused about these things. And um, there's a lot of detail and pathologists who spend their lives thinking about this um, have very strong opinions, you know. So the test for Tecentric, which is uh, uses an antibody called SP142, and it looks at the percent of immune cells in the tumor bed that express PDL1, and 1% or greater is positive. So basically, it's like when you're testing for the estrogen receptor and you use an antibody that has a little brown color and the cells that are positive are brown. So it's the same kind of thing. And it's scored by pathologists. And so that's where, you know, having a 1% or not positive you know, there's a little wiggle room with all of these tests, but not a lot. It's, you know, because it's not a specific percentage, it's just any positivity is positive. It's easier to detect it. Okay. In contrast, pembrolizumab or Keytruda uses CPS, which is a combined positive score. And what it does is it uses a different antibody, 22C3, that they look at the positivity in the immune cells as well as the tumor cells, and then divide it by the number of tumor cells to get a score. And that's positive when the score is 10 or more. What's fascinating is that the 1% or greater for Tecentric is about 40% of patients. The CPS of 10 or greater for Keytruda is 38% of patients. But what we showed in that recent paper we struggled to publish is that the overlap is not complete. So if you're positive for one, you're likely to be positive for the other, but there are tumors that are positive for only one or the other test. Mm, very interesting. Now, is this the first time an immunotherapy medicine has been shown to improve, improve overall survival in breast cancer specifically? 
Again, great question. The first trial that showed a question of survival benefit was in Passion 130 with Tisentric or Atezolizumab and the chemotherapy drug NAB, Paclitaxel, or Abraxane. And the improvement was seven months, which is almost the same as this trial, even though the populations are different. But this gets into really the weeds, you know. Uh, Impassion 130 had a hierarchical statistical design. So you could only report the overall survival benefit in pd one positive patients if the trial was positive in the overall or intent-to-treat population, and it wasn't. So it was inferred that survival was better. So the way that's evaluated by the regulators is that you get accelerated approval, but you need confirmation with additional data to get formal final approval. Uh, The Keynote 355 had two primary endpoints, the progression-free survival and overall survival too, but it didn't have that design and you need different numbers and a different plan for the trial. And it really holds to the statistical design. So the problem is that they tried to have confirmatory data from another trial called Impassion 131 with Taxol or Paclitaxel as the chemo partner, but that trial did not show a benefit, even in pd one positive disease, patients with pd one positive disease, uh, when we added atezolizumab or Tisentric to Taxol. So they didn't have the confirmatory data There's no way to do another randomized trial based on Keynote 355 with survival benefit. So they withdrew the accelerated approval just a few weeks ago of atezolizumab and are waiting for a 1,500-patient trial in the early-stage setting that's already completed enrolling patients. Okay. Okay. And I want to ask you, too, a little bit about progression-free survival versus overall survival? Because I know people I've talked to have been diagnosed with breast cancer. Sometimes they don't understand why is it so important for a medicine to improve overall survival as well as progression-free survival? It's another excellent question and one that we actually argue about (laughs) as well, particularly when we think that For example, if you did your trial in Russia and patients did not have access to the other drugs, the survival might not be better. So, and that, but that would just really be because of the treatment after progression on the study that you just didn't have access. A sad but true situation internationally that was brought up actually by the discussant of this presentation at uh, ESMO just earlier today. And I think. You know, so for that reason, there are sometimes situations where you might not see a survival benefit, but it is uh, explained by access to subsequent therapy. But in the majority of trials, the endpoints that we look at first, and I talked about some of the ones like duration of response, but the first one is, you know, progression-free survival and overall response. So why is that so important? Why don't we just look at response? So if you have response, it means the tumor is shrinking to the treatment, and it's shrinking more to the experimental treatment than the standard. But the trouble is if that response only lasts for a few weeks, like the tumor shrinks, but two days later it's growing again, that didn't really help the patient, Mm -hmm. just momentarily. So progression-free survival tries to get at that where you want to see the number of patients whose cancers haven't grown by a certain amount during the trial and compare that. But then, you know, the problem is that you could generate resistance to the treatments 
by giving that treatment, right? So what if you gave pembrolizumab and the cancer was resistant to everything else afterwards because you changed something about the cancer? Well, then survival wouldn't be improved. In fact, survival could be even worse. What if you caused deaths from the treatment? Then survival also could be worse. So in a disease like this, Overall survival is a critical endpoint. We always call it the gold standard, you know. Uh, I think it's a funny expression, but there you go. Um, and I think that, you know, this, it is really important for us to see overall survival if we can. Now, there are studies where overall survival is not seen, and that could be due to any number of reasons. And, you know, we have to look at them and see if the drug is still worthwhile even if it doesn't prolong overall survival? Is it at the patient population, the availability of other drugs, uh, changing treatments over time, all sorts of things. For example, I'll give you an example. For patients who have those germline, they're born with them, BRCA mutations, who can take the drugs called PARP inhibitors, the studies showed that the progression-free survival was really markedly improved compared to chemo, but overall survival was not. What we believe is that when you get PARP inhibitors, the cancer rapidly develops resistance and, in fact, sometimes can repair DNA, the problem that is being attacked by the PARP inhibitors. But if you treat maybe very early, in the early stage setting, before metastatic disease, or even before patients have gotten some other treatment, we might see survival differences. So that sort of gives you an example where it can be a little muddy. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That that was very helpful because that's a question I've wondered about for quite a while. Um, finally, I want to ask you, you talked a little bit about Tocentric and how the breast cancer indication was pulled. So what do these Keytruda results mean for people who've been diagnosed with metastatic triple negative breast cancer, pdl one positive, especially now in light, Tocentric is going to no longer be prescribed. My understanding is people who are on it and are respond, and you know, the cancer's responding well, they can stay on it. But I've also heard, we, our website has heard from a number of people who are kind of panicked because their doctors are talking about switching them even though they're responding. So what do these Keytruda results mean? And, and sort of a secondary question, I am assuming that somebody just, if they're on to Centric, it's just not possible to switch to Keytruda. Well, I could answer the last question first. Um, it is certainly possible to switch oh, okay. checkpoint inhibitors if your insurance covers it, and the insurance is going to be covering Pembro and not Atezo. But but to go further from that, and we've been on Twitter about this too, there is no reason, I mean, no, no, no reason to stop atezolizumab or tocentric if you have disease that's being controlled. It should be continued. And the company, Roche, has really come out publicly, even in their press release, to say that they will work very hard to try and make sure that patients continue to have access who are responding to this drug. I have a patient who's on now, has been on single agent off chemo for more than a year, and I would not take her off that drug. So although you could switch, I don't see a reason to do so. What the uh, approval means, which is great, and this data with survival, is that patients have an option. And that's really important, an option that improves progression-free and overall survival and is a new standard of care. I think we all wish that 
we still had both drugs available. But when we looked at this overlap in, you know, whether a tumor could be positive for both tests or one test, only very few patients had tumors that were only positive for the tocentric test. So that's at least encouraging that most patients will still be able to benefit from checkpoint inhibitors who have PDL1 positive disease. And there is no reason why patients should not receive pembrolizumab um, unless they have some you know, major toxicity, immune-related toxicity. Okay. Dr. Ruga, thank you so much. This has been hugely helpful in understanding this kind of complicated research. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for your interest in this data. Thank you for listening to the BreastCancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.